It's Fangraphs Audio. My name is Carson Sestouli, and joining me, as he does every week, except for last week, uh, where I'm sure he was doing very important work, as we can all imagine, is the curator of our excellent uh, print Q&A series, and also the curator of our uh, audio Q&A series, David Lorla. Carson, it's yes, it was a very busy week last week. Um, no busier than today. I mean, we're recording this introduction while the Braves and Reds are playing. Um, a little distracted here. Um, the Reds, notably the team that I picked on April 1st to go to the World Series, so we'll see if that happens. The Tigers are playing later this afternoon, which um, is the segue into the fact that that is Jim Abbott's team growing up, um, the team that I was covering last week at, at Comerica. Um, Jim Abbott, of course, played for the Angels, and that was the team that everybody thought was going to go to the World Series this year. So there's a long, complicated rant about uh, about <laughs> Jim Abbott indirectly. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I get it. And you mentioned uh, Michigan. You were in Michigan at Comerica. Jim Abbott's from Michigan. And, and I should say you were not just in Michigan, but you were also from Michigan too. So you have a, a, native, uh, a native friend here. A native friend. We grew up in different parts of the state, but that is uh, – it was part of what interested me in the book. I'm not a big fan of, of sports autobiographies, but I saw the book in the library. thought, well, this is interesting. I, I did follow Abbott's career, and when I picked it up, I was very quickly pleasantly surprised. The, the book is called Imperfect. He wrote it with uh, Tim Brown of, of Yahoo, you know, superb writer. But I was probably 15 or 20 pages in where I realized that Jim Abbott is a very, very thoughtful person. The way he just looked at, not not even his life, but the way he approached a baseball game from the time he woke up in the morning, going through the clubhouse right up to the time that he took the mound. And that really is what uh, what prompted me to arrange, you know, the interview with Jim, which... Uh, you know, maybe we can just jump right in and, and not ramble further. Yeah, let's not ramble this time. Let's not ramble. Uh, yeah, well, th- uh, thanks, though, for, for giving us a little bit of an introduction here to this. What follows is audio uh, with David Lorla in conversation uh, with former Major League pitcher, uh, currently co-author of his own autobiography, Jim Abbott. My guest is Jim Abbott, former left-handed pitcher. Um, Jim, as many people know, you're a great story. There's certainly a lot of great stories going on in baseball right now. What stands out most to you about this postseason? The drama um, and the unknowns versus the knowns. <laughs> I think it's been really fun to see teams like Baltimore and, and the NBA's uh, battle against uh, teams like the Tigers and the Rangers and, and, uh, and the Yankees. Uh, even I've considered myself a baseball fan, uh, and I'm still getting to know some of these young up-and-coming players for these teams. So uh, it's been fun to watch you know, that battle go on in the playoff atmosphere. And your hometown of Flint, Michigan, is certainly behind the Tigers. Oh, absolutely. I, you know, I'm, I grew up a Tigers fan. I grew up uh, going to the old Tiger Stadium. To me, those blue and orange seats represent Major League Baseball, and, and uh, I miss going there quite a bit. And, and um, my parents are, are big Tigers fans, and uh, I get a lot of a lot of uh, email and, and text from my friends back home, like, giving me a hard time about my Angel allegiances. But uh, when the Angels are out of it, I, I am certainly pulling for the Tigers in, in my home state. 
And you have a book out now uh, written with Tim Brown. It's called Imperfect. Um, this, your hometown of Flint is very much an imperfect city. Can you talk about that a little? It is a tough town. Flint, Michigan is a tough town. Uh, hit hard uh, by the automotive industry leaving and, and uh, the lack of jobs and opportunity. Um, but it's a great town. It, it was for me growing up. I never, you know, I saw the hardship and, and I knew there were places that were unsafe. Um, but there were incredible uh, influences in my life, coaches and, and teachers and, and my parents, of course. You know, people who, uh, you know, took the time. And, and sports were a way of life in Flint, Michigan. And, uh, you know, they, those people, their creativity and optimism gave me a chance to play. Uh, whether it was football, baseball, or basketball, there are people who, you know, who gave me the chance. And, and uh, you know, Flint is, like you said, it's imperfect. Uh, but I think it, it shaped me uh, in that it, it's, a, it, there's, it's a sports crazy town. And it's also a town that doesn't give any quarter. Uh, it, it, you make your own way. And, and uh, you know, for a kid who was born missing his right hand, uh, I believe that was the only way to go. A focus of, of your book, Jim, and once again I'm talking to Jim Abbott, is the no-hitter you threw with the Yankees. And in the early chapters you talked a lot about mindset, including um, prior to that game. What did go through your mind um, in the mornings and afternoons of the days that you pitched uh, before you got to the ballpark? Well, I, I really love that part of the book. Uh, Tim Brown, uh, a, a writer for Yahoo, who uh, was a friend of mine, helped me to write it. And, and uh, you know, I really, un I really appreciated his understanding of the locker room atmosphere and what it was like to, you know, wake up in the morning of a day game and 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 have those nerves and 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 have your routine of going to breakfast in the morning, you know, with my wife and 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 eating the same pancakes, eating at the same place, and that cab ride from. Uh, Manhattan over to the Bronx and, and, and looking out the window and thinking about the lineup and, uh, you know, getting to the ballpark, walking down the stairs and going into the Yankee clubhouse and, and, and sort of finding the calm and centeredness that you need before a game and finding the little, those little places in the clubhouse, you know, where you can start to do your physical and mental preparations. And, and uh, I, I think, you know, I really love that part of the book, the exploration of all that and, and uh, the mental and physical preparations that it takes to go out and pitch a major league ball game. And when you're having breakfast or, or lunch with your wife prior to a game, um, is your mind baseball or, or is your mind actually away from baseball for a short period of time? Well, I can't. My, my mind was on the game and, and maybe a little bit to a fault. Um, my, my poor wife. <laughs> day game is a day game and, and you're thinking about that challenge. You know, I, I, it. I'm thinking about that lineup. I'm trying to be in the present. I'm trying to be there in that restaurant. But, but the truth is, is that, um, you know, I'm thinking about what's going to happen in a few hours, you know, and, and, and um, you know, in that day in particular, uh, there was a good up and coming uh, Cleveland Indians team with, you know, guys like Kenny Lofton and uh, Albert Bell, Carlos Bayerga, um, you know, Jim Tomey had just come up and Manny Ramirez had just come up. And, and, and so, um, in those moments of the game, I mean, to be honest with you, from my, the first time I opened my eyes in the morning till actually stepping on that mound, uh, it was very hard for me to, to be in the moment. I was anxiously awaiting getting out there and, and getting after it.
And once you, you would leave, Jim, the, the restaurant, you'd go through your, your cab ride, you'd get to the ballpark, you'd walk into the clubhouse. Um, um, I think most listeners understand that starting pitchers on the day, the day they pitch are not available to the media until after the game. And a lot of pitchers really will not even interact a lot with their teammates prior to the game. It, is, is a lot of that really necessary? Is that space needed by all? <laughs> That's a great question. You know, I think there are times when you get a little bit carried away with it. Um, you know, I think there is this, you know, it, it is sort of your day. And, and I learned that from, from uh, you know, Burt Blylevin was a great influence on me in my career. That, uh, I had a chance to play with him my rookie year and the first couple of years of my major league career. And uh, Burt was a loose, fun-loving guy, as loose and as fun-loving as anybody I ever played with and, and probably as anybody that ever heard of playing baseball. I mean, he was just, you know, he had a blast on the days that he wasn't pitching. But when he was pitching on that day, he, he was all business. And from the second he showed up at the ballpark, everything he did had a purpose. Uh, he was incredibly focused. And, you know, he knew when he stepped out on the mound, he was ready for what lay ahead, and, and so I learned that from him, and, and I, I took the same approach. I, you know, you definitely sort of sequester yourself away from the team a little bit, and it's ha it has its purpose. I know it seems a little odd, but, um, you know, everybody has their sort of, like I said, mental and physical routine that puts you on that mound for that first pitch, feeling as confident and prepared as you can possibly be. When you went out to the mound in your rookie season, your catcher was Lance Parrish, who you certainly would have followed growing up in Flint. Absolutely, absolutely. I'll never forget it. You know, I I, I got to major league spring training very quickly. I went I went play in the Olympics uh, the previous summer, and and uh, I didn't play any professional baseball and came to spring training and uh, went out there and and. You know, the first guy that I'm pitching to in a game is, is Lance Parrish, who I had looked up to uh, as being from a, his days of the Detroit Tigers for years and years. And that familiar, for those in Michigan, that familiar black glove and the orange uh, outline around it uh, just blew me away. It was very striking to be the person actually throwing to that myth that I had seen on TV for so long. In the book, you write about how at Yankee Stadium it appeared as though your catcher was two or three feet closer than he was in other parks. I found that to be a, very interesting. I always felt that. I don't know if other pitchers felt that, but in the old Yankee Stadium, um, the, the, the backstop was quite a bit away, and, and it, 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 the elevation of the field seemed to be raised up a little bit from as the ball went back to the old uh backstop it, it actually did, went down a little bit and and so you seemed elevated almost and, and um you know your catcher just seemed right there to me and, and uh it was a very comfortable place to play i i loved pitching at yankee stadium sometimes those the right and left field line creeped in on you a little bit but uh, uh every time i took the mound of the pinstripes and even as an opposing pitcher i loved being on that mound i, I loved that stadium and uh it was always I never took for granted the opportunity to pitch in the Yankee Stadium. In 1996, you had a record of 2-18 and 18 and uh, earned run average of well over 7. Did home plate look far away most of that year? Home plate looked a long way away, <laughs> and it looked tiny. <laughs> uh, it was a rough year. Yeah, I had, you know, I had one of the worst years statistically 
uh, you know, in a long time. And, you know, you could stack it up as being one of the worst years ever. Um, I was terrible. And, and, you know, you talk about the mental aspects of the game. I just wasn't able to turn it around. I was trying to win two and three ball games with each start. And, you know, you can't do that. Every pitch uh, became magnified, and, and I felt like I had to be perfect. And on top of that, my stuff was just becoming a little bit short. So, uh, I, you know, the pitches that I, good pitches that I did make, weren't always effective so um it was a testament in 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 trying to persevere and trying to hold your head high through adversity and in facing you know the the end of your career in a very public way once again i'm talking to jim abbott um a few more questions jim comparing that to an 18 season to 1991 there was a vast difference um you had earned run average of under three you won 18 games a notable game you threw that season was a 10 inning complete game loss to toronto were you as good that day as you were in your no hitter yes yeah there were there were definitely a few days uh uh, several days that I pitched in the major leagues that I was better than I was a no-hitter. Um, uh, you know, there were a few days in 1991 and 92. I, I pitched probably as well in 92. Um, I didn't have the record, though. We didn't have the, the, the same kind of run support team as we did in 91. But, um, you know, I, I loved there were a few moments when the ball came out of my hand and I knew exactly where it was going and I knew I had a good chance of, of having it be an effective pitch. And, and um, it was an incredible feeling. Um, I was confident. There were times in 91, you know, when I felt like I could go out there and pitch against any ace on any team and, and give my team a chance to win. And, uh, you know, that was a moment to be cherished. I thought it would last forever. Uh, it, it, it didn't, but... Um, you know, I look back on that with great fondness. Notable in that game is that you had 13 strikeouts, a, a career high. But uh, to close, Jim, I'd like to go back um, to the beginning of pro ball, or, or actually a few years before. You were actually drafted out of high school but opted to go to the University of Michigan instead. Um, what might have happened had you not gone that route, had you decided to sign with the Blue Jays? Oh, that's a great question. I, instead of going to Ann Arbor and the University of Michigan, I would have gone to Medicine Hat <laughs> and started my days with the Toronto Blue Jays. Um, uh, I don't know. I don't know what would have would have happened to me professionally. I know uh, life experience-wise, I would have been seriously shortchanged. Uh, to go to the University of Michigan was a dream come true for me. To play there, play with guys like uh, Casey Close and Hal Morris and uh, Scott Kamenicki, Um you know, to win a few Big Ten championships, to play at that level, and then to play in the Olympics uh, as an amateur player. Um, you know, I wouldn't trade those amateur experiences uh, with with anything uh, that might have come along at, at the minor league level. So, um, you know, I don't know. Maybe I would have been a better pitcher. Maybe I wouldn't have. But uh, I wouldn't trade a thing about the path that I took. You know, chance can bring you so many different places. Uh, you were drafted eighth overall by the Angels in 1988. What were your expectations on draft day? Because there were certainly other teams that may have taken you earlier or later than, than number eight. Well, the Angels had made it pretty clear they were very interested. Uh, they told me that they were going to take me uh, or you know, were seriously considering it. And, and so, obviously, I had my fingers crossed. I talked to a couple other teams. I talked to the Tigers, actually, and, and, and they were expressing an interest, but they didn't have a draft 
pick until later on in the first round. So, um, you know, it, kids growing up in Michigan, and I still think this is the case, don't know a lot about the Angels. And I didn't. Uh, I knew a couple of their players. I knew back then, you know, Gene Autry owned the team, and, and they had some high-priced free agents and uh, had fallen on some hard times. And so I didn't know anything about the Angels. And when they called my name or, or when I got the phone call that I was picked, uh, it really was heading off into uh, foreign territory. I couldn't even have told you the city that they played in. And, and uh, you know, they were the California Angels at the time. <laughs> and, uh, you know, ended up being quite an experience. And, and um uh, living on the West Coast, you know, it's, it's become my home now. Um, Jim Abbott, um, thank you very much for your time. David, thank you for having me.